This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 196, about Daredevil, season 3, episode 10, Karen. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We're here talking about Daredevil Season 3, Episode 10, all about Karen Page, called Karen. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. I really think they should have made a page joke. <laughs> I would make a page pun. Like, she's a reporter, so like, a page in the wind. Something really, like, just, like, cheese. if you're going to lead into it. But they were like, no, this is the one you wanted. Yep. We're going to tell you exactly what it is. <laughs> yes, and rounding out the group, I am your third and final host, Karen. No, John. <laughs> Didn't think we had Karen on this one. Sounds a very well, deep d- voice for Karen. Yes, it was just there's so much Karen going on that mm. I just thought, well, why not? I'll be Karen too. Yeah, when John was writing his synopsis, I had to stop him at one point because every line had the, <laughs> had the word Karen in it. Uh, although we have got our top five case notes, which are all related to Karen in this episode as well, just to make it a little extra special. Um, but I do think... The reason why they call the episode Karen is because if you really wanted Karen's backstory, you could actually jump right into this episode back in season one and watch that first 30 minutes with actually not affecting your knowledge about the rest of the season at all. You could have just watched this backstory, gotten it out of the way and then moved on with whatever other episode of the show you were on uh, originally. I think they could have done it that way. (laughs) So it doesn't really affect anything else. There's no other reveals about anything else that's going on in the world of Daredevil uh, until about 30 minutes into this episode. So nice way to handle it, I think. Yeah, I must say I kind of enjoyed uh, getting out of Hell's Kitchen for a while. Mm. Uh, I absolutely love that vibe of rural sort of northeastern uh, small town America, to mm-hmm. be honest, with, you know, with that kind of slightly, um, decaying industry, um, to an extent yeah. within the, the hills, um, in in the northeast you know it kind of smacks of pennsylvania vermont maine that kind of thing and you wonder what murders tragedy and secrets may uh, lie within so yeah i kind of like that vibe i've always been drawn to to that kind of ascetic i suppose uh in american culture so i really enjoyed that setting for karen's backstory for sure Mm -hmm. very david david lynch Twin Peaks. Yeah, exactly. Um, very much that kind of... Like, I was expecting a dwarf to w- walk out <laughs> talking backwards at some point. It's just like, okay. Yeah, it's a really interesting setting, isn't it, for um for this episode, obviously going back to Karen and taking her out of Hell's Kitchen. We've been spending three seasons in Hell's Kitchen in the city, so having it out in this expansive space is so different. But let's get into our discussion about the episode, guys. Uh, if you want to... S- Subscribe to the podcast, fellow Defenders. If you haven't yet, we're only a couple episodes left of the season. So pop on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and subscribe on any of the subscribe buttons we've got over there. And you can also leave us feedback on any of the episodes of the season by emailing us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or clicking the send voicemail button over on our website as well. And you can also follow us and join our group on Facebook. Just head on over to Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. And of course, this is a spoiler-filled discussion of Daredevil episode 10. So Derek, what are some of the episode details here? This episode was directed by Alex Garcia Lopez, uh, who directed episode four this season, the excellent episode that had the prison fight that was going on. Um, So it kind of allows him to stretch his muscles a little bit more in this episode. We do have a huge fight sequence, but we also have a very much um, kind of like an indie film going on with uh, Karen's backstory. So some very different 
pieces of play in this episode for for Mr. Lopez. I have this imaginary kind of scene in my head where he's just done episode four. It's like, do you know what? You did such a great job. We're going to fly you somewhere, you know? We're going to let you take on episode 10, and you're going to get this remote, beautiful location. And he ends up in the snow, and he's just like, oh. <laughs> Thinking he's going to be like Daredevil in Tahiti. Yeah. It is really interesting, though. I, I think it really is kind of an indie vibe, actually, yeah. to this, uh, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, so, some nice little uh, shots and some good action pieces with the crash as well i you know it, it was nicely done um it, it felt indie definitely yeah yeah i just had that kind of beautiful girls vibe there's so many movies and so many uh tv shows who've taken this as their basis for their storyline but really nice to have that in daredevil it just feels something vastly different to what we've seen in the other 36 episodes so far i guess um the episode itself was written by Tamara Beaker Wilkinson. Uh, she wrote some episodes of Iron Fist, uh, wrote The Blessing of Many Fractures, and co-wrote uh, Dragon Plays of Fire, both from season one of uh, of Iron Fist. And she also wrote episode 15 of Runaways as well. So a couple of the Marvel shows that she worked on as well. Yeah, she really uh, taps the darkness uh, in here, I think. Um, certainly with Karen's uh, backstory, it uh, really does tap dark, 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 I think. Mm-hmm. And, John, that's a great segue for yourself. Uh, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Holed up at church and hunted by Wilson Fisk, Karen Page is haunted by the mistakes and tragedy from her past. Before, in small-town America, following the death of her mother to illness, Karen's life is going nowhere fast. As she tries to balance the expectations of her family with her alternative life with her boyfriend Todd, a day that should have been for celebration leads to a family argument that has a lasting legacy. Blaming Todd for his sister's predicament, Kevin takes matters into his own hands as he tortures his trailer in anger. In the resulting fight, Karen shoots Todd to protect her brother, and as they both make their escape, Karen crashes the car, leaving her brother dead and the family broken. In the aftermath, her father asks Karen to leave. Now, back in Hell's Kitchen, the safety of her refuge is also about to be broken as Dex goes in for the Karen kill on the orders of Wilson Fisk. Meanwhile, Matt Murdock finally gets his shot at the kingpin but chooses to save his friend Karen. Matt races to the church just in time to help Karen see off Dex but in the ensuing chaos and flying billy clubs, Father Lantern puts himself in harm's way. Yeah, in more ways than one, this is a totally Karen-centric episode. She is right at the center of everything that's going on. So our case notes really do reflect that, as I mentioned earlier on. Our case note number one, just a little bit about college Karen at the beginning, because I think this is an interesting setup. The idea that we haven't seen much of Karen's past at all. We've just kind of been alluded to in the past, uh, little kind of mentions here and there over the course of the three seasons. So this opening scene where we see what looks like a really happy young Karen having a bit of fun getting drunk with friends at a, at a sorority party. Um, turns out this is just a cover. This is effectively her cover for being a drug dealer. Uh, interesting start, I think. No, it's interesting for me because I wasn't sure what to expect. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the best. I was expecting Karen in college doing a journalism degree, doing something yeah. and falling off the wagon there. But actually within, what, five seconds? Not even, sorry, within three minutes, mm -hmm. we're kind of fully exposed to, no, no, this is, that, that's the cover story. She, she's just a drug dealer there for fun. Yeah. 
Yeah. Also, she can look after herself there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does take a good old punch at uh, at the guy who tries to get her to under price her uh, her product, right? Her sales product. Or steal her product at that point. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do like that we see her doing this drug dealing to the sororities. Um, yeah, she's at the Zeta Gamma Beta um, party. Yeah, so it's proper sorority party. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose sororities for me are so linked in with um, horrors that, you know, <laughs> what comes after this is... <laughs> really is a bit of a tragic horror for Karen. Um, I do like the fact that um, she's there with Todd, who's her boyfriend. He seems to be above board with her. It's not like he's pimping her out or that kind of uh, relationship. Mm. Uh, But certainly the two of them are selling the product here. And uh, having said that, though, Todd does come to the rescue of Karen after one of the guys, as you say, trying to steal her product. And we do see that he kind of takes it a little too far, breaking the guy's arm or fingers as they get this uh, product back off um, the the guy. So, uh, again, I think this comes into play a little later where we see him going off the rails mm-hmm. um, towards Karen's brother. But certainly this is college karen as a smoke screen and i suppose leading into case note number two Mm -hmm. uh, which is called cafe karen we're at the family diner penny's place you know there is this thing where does her father and brother know about this alternative or different lifestyle do they Mm -hmm. think she's at college i that's what i was thinking is this kind of being hidden from them in plain sight a bit but we do get to learn that they kind of know they both know yeah what's going on here and they both do know that you know she's not in college because they know that she's dropped out of the enrollments you know she's kind of postponed that she's taken a deferment yeah Yeah, that's right that's right i i suppose for me it's very much i i had a completely different expectation Mm -hmm. of her backstory of her history yeah i think i think where i was was probably you know homecoming queen goes yes, off the rails yes. and kills yeah. her brother by mistake. Because we yeah. kind of knew the basics of it, that she was drunk and her brother was killed in a car accident. That's kind of it. But I kind of like this idea that she's been stuck in a loop in small town America. There's loads of little references in the background that you hear about, you know, the ski resort that's right beside where this diner was. So potentially when her parents bought the diner, it was actually a very successful business for them, right beside a, a tourist attraction in the local area, you know, in small town America. But it seems like she is just putting herself through this loop every single day, expecting that nobody's seeing how unhappy she is and nobody's seeing how self-destructive she is. Whereas her brother sees it so much that he's the one that that calls off the deferral for college. Her father sees it so bad, so he pushes her into it. Even the local police chief is kind of going, uh, are you sure you're okay there, love? You know, he's able to tell it pretty quickly <laughs> that there's something wrong with her. You know, I just think he doesn't want bloody eggs. Even before the issue with the eggs, though, he does have that kind of moment where he's going to her. You know, you're kind of reminding me of my wife now, love, and that's not a good thing. You know, <laughs> I, I'm yeah. right there with you. That was my that was my thought process, my expectation. Like Same. speaking of the 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 ski lift, when the dad is buying the new grill. Mm-hmm. He says such and such is going to reopen that road very yes. soon. So potentially, what has happened? It was very successful, and then they created a diverge, diverting road through around town. Yeah, that has basically caused all these people that probably the pass through traffic in the diner no longer to go there. 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And also we get to hear the kind of tragedy of that family situation where, you know, the business isn't any longer because of uh, the ski and um, the, the, the ski runs aren't popular. The, the diner, the passing traffic, the diner's on hard times. You know, he's spending $5,000 on a new grill. And Karen seems to be the one that is, is organizing the money here. And you have the, the, the tragedy of it being done in the memory of Penny, I presume, that their mother and wife. And of course, the sadness of that backstory. So this is a, this seems to me as well that it's a family that's still grieving. It still hasn't um, been able to reconcile what's happened and is still struggling through all of this. Yeah. And maybe that's where Karen lost it. Uh, and as we see in the opening, you know, her going uh, down the, the drug dealing uh, route, maybe that's a reaction to what happened. Because you, you do get this um, other aspect that her mum was never really happy there. She she was there because she loved her husband, Paxton Page, who just couldn't really see that she wanted to move away a bit like Karen. So there's a whole load of different dynamics going on in this. And I, I must say, I thought it was really good. I, I liked that. It was just so sad, though. Yeah. <laughs> Dare I say it, there were a few uh, onion-chopping moments here uh, in this episode for me. Uh, yeah, a few tears. I, I, mm-hmm. I thought it was really nicely played in terms of the the tone of this struggling family with struggling relationships coming out of a a trauma that just then got worse i i thought that was quite nicely done in the time that you have here um i thought it was really really good yeah they definitely use a few shorthands uh in the episode as well because they're trying to tell quite a big story again this is something that i've watched in, in films and cinema for over a two-hour period this kind of story of the of the background to a character like karen and how she gets out of it in a good way or a bad way um i've seen it before done like this so they have to use a few bits of shorthand one of the things that i thought was interesting was we don't find out how long ago her mother passed um, in fact, it's slightly unclear whether her mother has passed or whether she's left at a point. They say that she got cancer. Karen reveals in this awful way that um, she was dead before she even found out that she had cancer. Then they say she bought the lottery ticket when she went into remission and she accuses her father of keeping the uh, the diner open so that her mother might find her way back at some point. And that's kind of confusing. It's a little bit confused. But they do mean it kind of in the metaphorical sense or the metaphysical sense in some in some way. Um, they really do mean that, you know, at some point the place will have the light of their mother again, kind of. Um, that they're all stagnating in this. But we don't know how long they've been stagnating in this memory of the loss of a parent. It's the most difficult thing that anybody can go through, I think, is, is would be my experience. Um, and you see the whole family here completely distraught by the loss of the mother. But it could have been six months ago. It could have been six years ago. That's not really told to you, but it just shows how stalled in life all of them really are. Oh, definitely. And I think it's just the setting of small town America, um, you know, post, it's not actually post industrialization. It's kind of post ski resort effectively <laughs> or post bypass around the town yeah. where it's just, um, it sucked the life out of it in the same way as this family has had the life sucked out of it as yeah. well. And it, it's just so bleak. Um, and there's part of me that quite likes kind of exploring that bleakness. And I think it's done really well. Yeah. It's very much the Americana. Yeah. But it's small town, rural America, 
that's kind of highlighted on TV quite a lot. They're just using that little bit of shorthand to make sure they can tell the story in as short a time as possible. True. It, it's essentially, it's like, this could be any rural America city. Mm-hmm. It could be, except we know it's in snow. That's yeah. about the only thing that sets it apart. It's not in <laughs> Texas. Yeah. It's upstate New York. It must be. Yeah, it's it's kind yeah. of like the border, that type of thing. It's, yeah, Vermont, yeah. New Hampshire, yeah. maybe. Um, we do know time wise, it's at least two to three years. Yeah, because she's yeah. deferred twice, and you can't defer a third time. The brother says that's right. Yeah, so it's I'm thinking around the mother got cancer year one, um, left them quote unquote year mm-hmm. two, and she de- that's when she first deferred, and then deferred again in year three. But I have that feeling that it's almost like she was going to be going away to college. So it also could have been something that happened while she was in high school and having to leave town to go off to college was something that she's deferring because she doesn't yeah. feel that they can be trusted with the business. There's that point when Karen really is going at them all, going, this place would fail in a week. And the family are, the family are going, no, you need to leave. You're stagnating here. We can sort this out between us, you know, but yeah. she's not willing to accept them. Um, but I do have to say probably the most heartbreaking moment in the episode for me is that moment when Karen takes the scratch card, um, which has kind of taken all hope away from the family. It's not like anybody had any hope that it was going to be the millions, but it's like as if they've all trusted themselves to say, that was mom's last wish, we're going to put it on the wall and we're never going to touch it, because that gives us hope that potentially we can make something of our own lives, and if we don't, maybe scratching that card one day will give us the millions that she wanted us to have. But once you take that away, then you've taken away the final memory of mother, and it's an awful moment. It really is. And yeah. this is the impulsive, uh, ego driven, um, where she's kind of like, no, you're, I'm right. This is all wrong. So it's the Karen from like season one. And we get that, that makes sense. That yeah. makes perfect yeah. sense to us because this is the Karen we get to see. And I wanted to do a hat tip to Deborah and Wall for this and to the writers. They were able to, without me actually fully realizing it, grow the character in such a way that by season three, I prefer season three Karen to season one or, or kind of flashback Karen. Yeah. Like flashback Karen. I, oof, I like, there was points where I'm like, can I, can I fast forward? Will Derek and John know if I fast forward? <laughs> Obviously I didn't, yeah. but it was kind of like that to the point. like, this is too cringy for me. I can't get into it. And I, another final hot tip to Deborah wall is she was able to bring the, the drug dependent kind of look off where like that's tough when you've got to do that kind of shaky, that kind of complete always red eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of fits into our next case note, our case note three, criminal Karen, um, really, because there's a lot of crimes that she's committing stuff like, you know, the excessive, absolutely excessive use of drugs that she's got going on. She's selling drugs for Todd as well. So she's a criminal as we see her to begin with. Uh, also, Obviously, the amount of alcohol she's drinking as well at the same time as the amount of drugs she's taking. Pretty significant. Um, I'm pretty sure also operating a firearm uh, under the influence of drugs and alcohol is also a criminal offence, right? And <laughs> driving yes. under the influence. That, that was too. the one that yeah. got me. Well, that Before too. Before the, the main part. Yeah. She was just going back and forth. Uh, like I was like... Oh, okay. That was not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. But there is that interesting piece with Todd where... After having the fight with her family, she starts doing a couple of lines of coke with him in the car. And Todd looks over at her and she's downing like a fifth of whiskey. 
you know, right there in front of him. And he goes to her going, uh, you probably need to take it a little bit easy here. The local town drug dealer is telling you to take it easy on whiskey and drugs. You know, you know you've got a problem right there. You know, there is a reason why that phrase is out there. Don't get high on your own supply. You know, that this is where Karen is really going down uh, a really bad path here. She has access to pretty much as much as she wants because this is the guy that sells it to everybody in the city. He does seem to be a bit concerned about it, but he's still providing it to her. He's still giving her the opportunity. And he's saying to her, you know, if all that stuff doesn't work out for you, why don't you come work for me permanently? We can make enough money to pay off that grill that your father bought in three weeks, you know? Um, he's telling her to turn away from the legitimate path that she's been given out of the situation that she's in by going off to college that her family have worked on for her and saying, come join me in the criminal side. Come join me as a drug dealer. It's a tough one. Yeah. yeah. So they had already kind of pushed her to the brink. Mm -hmm. And we are just seeing the final curtain fall away the final nudge over the edge of the cliff yeah and that that's kind of a, a tough thing when you think about it because there, there's no slow build-up there's no from a story point of view like 10 episodes in we haven't had this slow build to her falling off the cliff yeah yeah it's well it's kind of like the the slow build that um claustrophobia is kind of given in just the feel of all of this i mean like you know the diner is dark and, and closes in on you mm -hmm. the the shots outside i think are like amazing but it they're dark that you know the real the color is completely taken out of it yeah and, and it is this thing the only bit of light is in the sorority you know it's got the color and all that yet she's not a part of it it is this thing i think where the that pressure cooker that has built up and it just comes out in this moment that like the the different levels of confrontation first with her family uh, then with her own brother as he tries to stop her leaving uh, and has a go at todd and then you get that moment uh where the the confrontation between todd and kevin where karen has to step in you know she's off her face uh with drink and drugs uh wielding the gun and then wielding the the wheel of of the pickup truck. Mm -hmm. uh, her brother Kevin looks pretty beaten uh, with that crowbar uh, that that Todd's gone after him with. I mean, it's interesting. You you get the sense of how bad it is that her brother would just go and torch that trailer. Yeah, I suppose because I mean, initially I'm kind of there going. Well, why has he gone and done that? It seems like a, like a massive overreaction, even with the family argument. But I suspect that it's not just Karen who's got this pressure of the place, the moment, and the current life or something. It's also Kevin and her, her father, Paxton, as well. Yeah, but what we do hear from the family argument that you just mentioned there is that the family are fully aware of who Todd is and what he does. They know Karen's fallen in with this guy. They know from what she said to them that he's the only person that supports her. He's the only person that cares about her feelings is, is the way she describes them. They're going, well, he sells drugs and we know he does. Everybody in town knows he does. We know why you're with him because you always come home, you know, way too late to even start work. You're always out partying with him all the time. So we know exactly what's going on in the situation. I think Kevin's kind of going... I've given her the way out and she's not taking it. I'm going back to this guy. I need to do something about him. Kevin says to Todd, maybe I should report you to the cops, you know, and then you'll get out of my sister's life, you know? So 
there is that anger and aggression all building up in all of these scenes. And as you say, Chris, the fact that it started at the beginning of the episode already, Karen's not the plain, simple hometown girl at the beginning of the episode. She's already gone down a pretty, pretty far down that path, thinking yeah. that this is her life. Yeah for the rest of it. So kind of flipping into the, the outcome of this final well, yeah. criminal Karen. Mm-hmm. So the, as we said, we, there was the kind of family dinner um, at uh, uh, where her dad and her brother kind of blindsided them with Karen cakes, mm-hmm. which was a nice little thing. Yeah. Um, so but then cute. that she, they, they have, they go, everything goes off the walls. She storms out. She's collected by Todd, but then we see, um, the brother kind of threatens Todd yeah. by saying, um, uh, does the cop know about you? Yeah. They go off drinking and with some skeet shooting, um, we assume. And uh, then they get back and the the beautiful silver bullet that they live in is on fire. Yeah. 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 Um, and then poor Todd flips out and starts beating Kevin pretty yeah. badly. Like, like to the point where he runs off and gets a tire iron and comes back. Yeah. Yeah. And as I say, this is where the shorthand works really well from that first moment, from that, that college Karen moment, as we said. It just shows you already early on that Todd's going to take things too far. Once he's pushed at all, if he's challenged at all, he's going to push it to the point that he's going to kill Kevin. There's no doubt yeah. about it. He wouldn't have stopped if Karen hadn't shot him. But he thinks he would have. That's why his reaction to Karen shooting him or his, his reaction to Karen even going for the gun in the first place is so horrified because he thinks he would have stopped. But he was beating Kevin so hard that he wasn't even paying attention to how much he was hurting the kid, you know? Yeah. Um, but again, another little kind of callback in a way, if you can call back to something that happens in the future for the character. Um this is Karen taking a gun again, pointing it at somebody and pulling the trigger. She's not a person generally that threatens. <laughs> We've only seen her actually threaten with a gun once in this show. And that was the three kids that were on the street, wolf whistling at girls walking by. That's the only time she's pulled a gun on someone and threatened. Yeah, in this season, because like she does uh, certainly uh, unload a clip, uh, seven, I believe, bullets into old poor Wesley. But yeah. that's exactly what I mean. I think she's kind of like the Colleen Wing of this show where if she takes her weapon out and points it at you, she's willing to use it. And that's what is being proved in this scene with, uh, with uh, Todd. She takes it out. She says, stop hitting my brother. He hits him one more time and there's a bullet in his, in his shoulder before she, he even knows it. Yeah. So fast forwarding, uh, they escape. Um, they're driving. Mm -hmm. Um, Karen is way too angry, too drunk, and too high yep, to be yep. driving. Her brother says, I did it to save you, I believe. It's, I'm paraphrasing slightly. I've already lost my mom. I couldn't lose you too. Yes. Yeah. And she then stares at him, dumbfounded. And then they crash. Uh, they go up the ramp. Yeah, not yeah. the greatest thing to do when you're driving is to stare at somebody else in the car, don't no. I actually thought it was um, it was really good because I don't know about you, but I you watch so many films where someone is talking over their shoulder, someone in the back or to the passenger. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like going, why are you not just going off the road at this point? Because if I ever try and do it when I'm driving, I'm kind of like, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, exactly. And I'm like, so to me, this it was great that, you know, she is eyes forward. And the moment she does that, they do career off and onto this barrier. And I thought it was a really good action scene with the car flip, actually. I, th- I thought mm-hmm. it was really nicely done. And I think um, just for me, the, the two scenes um, that I really enjoyed, I thought were just 
directed and dealt with so so well was the post crash scenes mm-hmm. uh, were you have that close up of Karen you know absolutely distraught her dad has just kind of sidled past the the cop um as he you know there's that kind of heart rendering cry from the back of the ambulance uh, and the music that's playing at that moment it's just so so good uh, I, I i thought that was really emotional actually yeah i thought it was really good and then that whole um fuzzy f- and then into the fading of karen and her dad just looking Uh, at one another after you know the morning after where karen's like with the business she wants to help and she goes i'll do the arrangements for for the funeral and all this and you get that moment where her dad effectively says you know you need to leave Um, and, and that's the end of it and it it kind of all of a sudden there is that realization as to why he didn't want her back um, when she phones him up for help um, from, what, two episodes ago, yeah. you, you suddenly get the reason why maybe he said that. You know, I think at the time we were like going, well, that was a bit of a douche move. Yeah. But you see what's gone down. Um, and maybe he's still not recovered from it if it's what, as you say, Chris, what, two or th- maybe two or three years um, after the fact that he's still not um, gotten over it. So I just thought there were really um, two very special moments uh, of of direction, the the actors, um, and really just the dialogue. I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah, it was excellent, wasn't it? Um, I loved that scene, as you mentioned, just Karen standing by the car, having the police chief talking to her and her not hearing any words at all. And then her father arrives. She still can't hear anything at all. Her father walks over to where Kevin's body is inside of the ambulance and the guttural scream that comes from is the only thing that Karen can actually hear. She hasn't heard any of the conversation. She hasn't heard any of the words that have been said to her. The first thing she hears is that scream of her father realizing her brother's gone. Um, Very, very tough moment. Karen's led away with this whole thing, though. The police chief, knowing what she's gone through and knowing what the family have gone through, tells her father that... The whole story that's going to be around this is Kevin was the only person in the car and Karen wasn't involved at all. So this kind of explains that connection that Karen was talking about before uh, in these in the episodes of Daredevil, where she has told people that people in the local town have made a connection that didn't exist. Well, we find out the, there was actually that connection. Everybody in town probably knows what really did happen. But Karen's still trying to cover that up yeah. to cover herself. So that that's a part of me. I was like, so what happens to Todd? Mm-hmm. They, they, that's never answered. No. Yeah. That's one thread that I would have preferred with a single comment. They could have said, Todd has said he'd say nothing, but the bullet in his shoulder really did a number on him or something like, like that. That's one thread that I'm like, well, he knows she was there. Yeah. But you get, you get the feeling that Todd's kind of a bit of a pariah in town. Um, yeah. people don't like Todd. Um, and effectively, maybe he blames himself for the whole thing. You know, maybe he does have a conscience about the fact that he beat Kevin up and drove them away. And that's what killed him. Maybe he does have a conscience about that. Or maybe in season five of Daredevil, Todd's going to come back to New York to seek revenge on Karen when he finds out where she is. You know, that's, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's still there. Todd, the Toddinator. Yeah, now you say the Toddinator, I, th- that was the thing that I could think of was Terminator 2 with 
tired from uh, Ed Furlong's John Connor. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I just was expecting Kevin to come out with like that long American drawl of Shut tired. Up, yeah. um, it was, yeah, I just had Terminator 2 constantly in my head with Todd being mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, quick question. Yeah. Her dad sends her away, doesn't want to see her again. Yeah. How much time is in between this and season one? I'm actually wondering if she basically got off the bus in season one um, directly after this uh, this situation. I'm wondering if she just arrived in New York directly from here. was actually intended to look back on the first episode. Because I think she's the first character you see at the start of season one of Daredevil. Um, if I remember right, it's it's once you get to the New York scenes. I know we, we see Daredevil and you see um, the first fight sequence at the start of that. But I think after the opening credits, it's Karen's arrival in New York, if I remember right. Um, so I'm not I'm not too sure whether it's... Yeah, a couple of months or or a couple of days between the end of the it, season. It's not that long. Yeah, that's she where she has my... a job, though. Of course, so she does have a job. So uh, in New York at the start of season one, so there has to be a bit of time. Should it say six days. six to nine months uh, yeah. max? Yeah, uh, yeah, because that's kind of what yeah. it feels, and it, it's because we it still is close to the Karen that we have at the end of this. But that's actually a great segue into case now number four, uh, Catholic Karen. Mm. We're trying for some alliteration there, so Catholic with a K. Yes. We're shoved back into present day. Mm-hmm. And it's what we thought. Um, Karen is hiding in the Clinton mission, uh, under the church. Um, Maggie does say or has says through Father Lantham that she's off looking and hopefully by the end of the day she should have options, which is actually yes. a really interesting piece because they say that the, the church has been hiding people for hundreds of years <laughs> and i'm like oh well anyway yeah but that's kind of like i know what you're getting with the missionary bit but i was like okay is the church gonna like have a secret like underground network it's just like interesting strange mm. way but it, it it's cool that and i can definitely see that and it does answer the question that we were asking uh in our last episode about whether karen would actually go back to her father after everything has fallen apart for her in new york after the threats from fisk would she actually go back take that step to go back to her father um and no is the answer maggie has provided an alternative um by bringing her into this network of the catholic church where they can hide people in different places like almost like what they did with matt taking him into the 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 missionary as a child um they're thinking of a way to keep karen safe from fisk uh, by putting her somewhere so maybe this could be future karen is going to be a nun in some far off mission (laughs) or she could be just sent to another city or state you know. It's basically Witsek, but Catholic Witsek. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Witsek, for some of our, our other listeners, is the shorthand for witness protection used in a lot of the cop shows in, in, in the US. Yeah, and for some of our hosts as well. <laughs> but that's that was the fun part for me. It was just like, it's Catholic Witsek! Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, we get this fantastic scene, one-on-one scene with Father Latham and Karen. Yeah. Um, with this kind of one-on-one, mm-hmm. which is kind of Father Lantham really being the Father Lantham we know, yeah, and we've kind of grown up with in this this, this season, and uh, not the season, sorry, this series. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of bring that back out. Um, you know, Father Lantham in season one was the confidant of Matt Murdock. He's gotten a lot of criticism from Matt Murdock this season after Matt finds out the big secret, I suppose. Um, but it's it's nice to kind of see a little bit of that. Father Lantern coming back out. The reason why Matt would have confided so much in him over the years is because he is a good person to go to when you need a little guidance, you know? Um, I love his description of Catholic prayer and Catholic community, I suppose, where he describes uh, the whole ritual of Mass being, you know, a little bit of ritual, a little ancient wisdom, 
not that bad a combi- combination for a troubled soul like yours, Karen. You know, it's a nice way of describing what really goes on behind those doors in the church. Yeah, and certainly uh, him pulling it back to the the sage words of John Lennon and the <laughs> Beatles as well was, was a kind of a nice little touch, you mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah, I really like this moment where the two come together to confide uh, in themselves. And, and to an extent, yeah, he is a confidant here. He is bringing that little bit of ancient wisdom uh, and ritual to it. But as well, he he finds himself in a little bit of a similar place to Karen in that, you know, he is um, on the wrong side of Matt at this moment as uh, Karen feels, you know, from, I suppose, her flashback or her haunting that she is still on the wrong side of her father, given the telephone conversation that she has. So it, it's it's a, a nice little moment of these two coming together where he still shares his knowledge, his wisdom, uh, his thoughts uh, to guide her and probably himself as well. Yeah. He's he's allowing it to just reflect back onto him as to what he needs to do and, and how he can um, let Matt deal with it, you know, and ultimately it's time. And I, so I, I really like this moment between yeah. um, Karen and Father Lantham down in the vaults uh, of uh, the Clinton mission. Yeah, because this whole guidance really is, it's not over until it's over, as, you know, many people have said that, but it's, you can't get forgiveness if you stopped striving for forgiveness. If you're not, if you're not moving your life towards a place where you can be forgiven for the things you've done in your past, well, then you should be doing that because that's the only way you can heal yourself and heal the relationships that are around you. It's a really nice uh, piece of wisdom, I suppose, you know, um, and Lantham's well known for that throughout these series. So really nice to have that back with him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but on to uh, case note number five, I think, with Kill Karen Page. Kingpin here, Wilson Fisk, gives a very specific mission to Dex, dressed up in the Daredevil outfit again. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting, we were talking about uh, the last episode where we were saying that all these killings, the, the shooting of uh, Special Agent Wynn, all this work being done in the name of Wilson Fisk um, or codename Kingpin, but he doesn't give any of these orders mm-hmm. to do it. Here he does. Uh, is this going to be the one that um, undermines him completely? Here he gives the order to Dex to go and kill Karen Page for her um, for her owning up uh, and saying that she was responsible for the death of James Wesley. Um, and Q, um, a very red church, um, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I, I like the visual, absolutely. But uh, yeah, it looked more like a Satanist cult um, <laughs> about to uh, go into daily, uh, I don't know, goat killing or something like that, rather than daily prayer. Yeah, I kind of wish they'd use some like red votive candles down that end of the church just to kind of symbolize <laughs> that there is a reason why they would have that amount of red light bathing the whole wall. Like it it does seem a little bit too much. But just to mention on the Kingpin piece, I do like that he explains the reason why Dex was sent to the Bulletin was to kill Daredevil and to attack the person who made Daredevil famous. But now he realizes that what Karen's done is much worse than he thought. But that's because of Karen actually going and saying it to him directly. She probably shouldn't have done that, you know? Yeah, it's not the smartest move. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, hey, you're the most scariest guy in all of New York right now. Do you know what? I'm going to put 
the target directly on my head. I'm going to put the bullseye on my forehead. Yeah, 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 definitely. But yeah, back to the church, I suppose, as, as you mentioned, John, this red bathed church. Yeah. Um, totally taken from uh, Guardian Devil. This really felt like something out yeah. of the Kevin Smith book um, as, as a couple of great references in here. We're going to talk about this a little bit and we may be spoiling Guardian Devil for some of our listeners who haven't read it, but I think it's worth it for what is actually going on because I'm wondering, I know you've read it, Chris, as well, and I know you've read it, John. I'm wondering if this particular scene has a little bit more resonance with comic book readers because of what we expected to happen in this moment and what actually they gave us. Um, The fight itself is fantastic. I'm telling you, Alex Garcia Lopez, the director of this episode and the prison fight episode is going to be a, a possible showrunner for a future action show because of the stuff that he's given us in this scene and in the in yeah. that scene back in the prison is just fantastic. You really should be given something big to do an entire series on. Maybe if we ever do get an Iron Fist season three, he could uh, he could get the showrunning duties on that. Yeah, it was really good. I, th- I think it's important as well, you know. Uh, before the big battle, Matt is in this moment of choice as to go after kingpin as he arrives back to the hotel or after hearing that they're going after karen uh you know he ultimately chooses karen i do like mrs shelby here who's kind of like no please kill him please kill him because uh i am petrified she really came across as you know a hostage here Uh, i thought that was quite a nice little change up because it didn't kind of get that feeling to begin with that she you know it felt like she was one of the gang one of wilson fisk's inner circle Mm -hmm. uh but i i like the fact that she's like going you're not going to get another chance uh you're gonna have to kill him please kill him because if you don't then i'll have to say that you were here and then security is going to be ramped up i noticed as well she's wearing the tag as well around her ankle or her wrist matt ultimately chooses to go after karen and luckily for her because he does arrive in the nick of time to then have the amazing fight with dex devil to prevent him from killing karen Mm -hmm. um we get that moment where there is the sacrifice. I understood that Father Lantern moved in front of the Billy Club flying through the air. Well, to take one for the team effectively um, and, and protect and ultimately save Karen from having the, the Billy Club sticking out of her own chest. Well, he's um, living out the advice that he gave to Karen yeah, earlier exactly. on, isn't it? It's not over until it's, until it's actually over. He takes this Billy Club, saves Karen thereby getting the forgiveness from matt that he wants that's his final whisper to matt is to forgive us which matt instantly would you know he's lost to father lantern but karen has been saved by his final action this is one of the pieces i was talking about from guardian devil it's one of the most famous images of karen page with the devil daredevil's billy club sticking out of her chest exactly the way we have father lantern here dying in karen's arms so nice touch here totally unexpected totally thought that this would be the moment where daredevil doesn't save karen page yeah, I really enjoyed um, Matt Murdock's response as well. I, I like the kind of shorthand whisper that Father uh, Lantern, and we see Karen have this as well with um, Matt Murdock, mm-hmm. so that Dex doesn't hear anything yeah. at all, but Matt obviously picks it up like a, a bat. So it, it's really, really good here, I think. Um, and I love then the reaction of Matt Murdock where he goes all out rugby tackle on decks does the whole 
body press uh, into the church floor. That was just so good. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm convinced that these two guys must have had a fair amount of bruises after this fight because I, I think there's a moment where uh, Dex, you know, pushes uh, Matt Murdock into the, the metal stand that has all the prayer candles on. Yeah. And yeah. I really felt that, actually, when that happened. I was like, ooh, ow. Charlie Cox's stump double. Um, he, damn, that guy must have been beaten up after these yeah. scenes mm-hmm. because like he's just in the man in black uh, outfit where at least Dex's stunt double um was in the full daredevil outfit with yeah. like padding and stuff. Yeah. So he good. gets through he gets thrown through the wooden confessional. Mm-hmm. Um and he's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. You can take that. That's you've got a bit of Kevlar on you or at least something. Yeah. The guy in just the black T-shirt with the the kind of mask on his face. I was like, ah, oh, that's going to hurt. That's going to yeah. hurt, absolutely. And just to mention that, I have to think that whoever wrote and constructed this fight scene is a Catholic and spent a lot of time in church as a kid or in their teens or growing up as they learned to become a stunt coordinator because it's like every single thing in a church that you would see <laughs> has been turned into a weapon. Yeah, it's from, been weaponized. Yeah, from absolutely. the voc- votive candles that uh, that Dex is thrown directly at Matt's head to the confessional itself being thrown through it. The rosary beads. Yeah, the rosary beads, yeah. You have the uh, <laughs> side of a pew is pulled off and smacked over Matt's head. You've got the collection plate, collection bowl is thrown. That yeah. was the best one for me, which I was like, he, is he just, like, the way they threw through it and i say that one shot because it didn't look cgi mm-hmm. i was like that one shot must have taken forever <laughs> yeah it just throws just it behind him and hits just, Matt he the head. throws it behind him and it hits Matt in the head yeah. they literally got some guy who's really good at frisbee <laughs> yeah. just, goes like, just get in the suit and do that for me yeah so good i i must say i loved um i loved matt murdoch just charging devil decks uh through the confessional mm-hmm. i was just like that was awesome it was so good. Yeah. It was. And Matt's uh, idea that he had to get close. He can't yes. keep the, yeah. the distance between him and Dex or this, uh, the, the Agent Point Dexter, uh, get large because Dex can use anything as a weapon. Yeah. So these Muay Toy gloves are doing damage. They're definitely doing. Yeah. You can, they, you they, can they, see that he's starting to, um, He's starting to limp a lot. You can see that he's starting to move very slowly in comparison to the way he was when he walked into the place after yep. having a little bit of a battle with Daredevil. Anybody getting a little bit of the Thor Hulk vibe um, with that pushing him through the both sides of the confessional and in, uh, in kind of a running motion that really felt a little bit kind of Thor Hulk fight to me, uh, to be honest. But I love that it all leads to Karen. Uh, hiding upstairs and picking up the procession cross, the cross that's on the really long pole, effectively. And that's what she uses to knock Dex off the side uh, onto his back in a great um, yeah. one shot dolly over the over the edge of the uh, over the edge of the balcony as it follows him to the floor. Even that in itself looks looks like a painful landing for the stunt guy. Yeah, there's one tracking the tracking motion for when they Matt goes, she wakes Matt up. And then goes, oh no no, like where's Dex? Mm-hmm. And the they track her getting up and looking yeah. over the thing, and Dex is gone, and then it tracks back and like it's just one pan. Yeah. yeah. It was a single. Typically you do that as a cut. Yeah, absolutely. Again, Alex Garcia here just being such a unique take on what you would usually expect for that because the camera is even at a strange angle it's almost like if you were filming on your phone mm-hmm. but you not not completely straight yeah. so you're at the kind of like at a weird say 75 degree angle so it's like if i'm filming on my phone 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> I didn't want to put it out like that, but I, but I do like it. I think it's one of those things when you've done an episode like that prison sequence, and you can see what the kind of tools that are available to you when you're doing a one shot twelve minute fight or eleven minute fight. I think using those types of techniques in a dramatic moment as well can become really useful to you as a director. I feel like he probably learned something from doing that episode and went, you know what would be really interesting in this really static shot if we kind of change it up a bit by changing the angle of the camera slightly and doing a, a tracking shot rather than a dolly or a tracking shot rather than a split cut. You know, that's yeah. that's kind of cool to see those pieces being used. Um, but again, another pull from a Guardian Devil comic book, so it's actually the cover image of the comic book, is Matt Murdock holding Karen Page in his arms as she lays lifeless in his arms um this image has been flipped for uh, for this episode we have karen holding matt lying in her arms uh, across her across her lap uh, as dex, dex escapes so another nice pull from the comic books yeah really good i mean i think as well it just shows you how tough dex is for daredevil because like you say chris he's absolutely pressed on himself to keep it close up close and personal with dex not to give him that distance that he knows yet he does still pretty much get it handed to him uh on on a plate i mean he's in pretty bad shape out of the two of them Mm -hmm. um and dex has just been like knocked off uh well no smashed off um the mezzanine in the church with like a brass cross like yeah and he he's up and out Uh, yeah, he's got the suit on, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does kind of uh, uneven the odds a bit. Dex is a formidable opponent here for uh, Matt Murdock's Daredevil. So uh, I, I like that. Um, I like that Bullseye is that proposition for Daredevil, that they're two very equally matched antagonists, protagonists, um, and there's no easy way for Matt to deal with this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a simple win or, or a simple beatdown. You know, he's got ropes on his hands, like you were saying, Chris, you know, that would cut into that exposed uh, f- part of his face. Um, he has kept up close. He's put him through a confessional, literally. Um, he has battered him against pews, all of this kind of stuff. And yet Dex keeps coming back here. Yeah. I like the fact that he's not an easy uh, win for yeah. Daredevil. I know what you mean. There's no easy out in here. It's not like somebody, you know, stole Iron Man's suit and Iron Man knows the code to shut the suit down. He got the suit that Matt had built to protect him from bullet, bullets and knives. That's the one he's wearing. So that that was built so that Daredevil could withstand multiple blows from an opponent. So what does Daredevil do to beat Dex? You know, interesting. I'm sure we'll find out. We will find out. I, I want to just end on this closing shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, it's the flipped Guardian yeah. Devil image. And just, if anything is ever more comic booky than this, I, I don't, don't know and I don't want this. Because it was just a beautifully well, well placed shot, well shot shot. Um, it was just, it, you could have frozen the frame, added an Instagram layer where it makes it look slightly comic booky, <laughs> and it would be a comic book cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just think it's, it's the one thing about this show that I think is perhaps one of its strongest elements is that it does lean into. Yeah. Okay, we're based on a comic book. Do you know what? There's fifty, sixty years of amazing storytelling amazing artwork amazing frames 
that we as a director or a writer can either directly use or adapt. Yeah. And I think that's what they, they knew. They said, well, we know this, we're going to fight in the church. We're going to have a fight in the church. Okay. What, which, what's some of the best ones about fighting church? Guardian devil. Yeah. Okay. What are some of the best images? Oh my God. That's what we need to finish yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Th- those images, that iconography of the comic books just used so well here in, in, uh, the church. It's just really, really good. Yeah. I, I, I loved it. And I, and I think it's really nice that it does contrast so much with that first half of this episode. It is Karen then and it's Karen now. And it's like they do contrast. Um, and, and it's really, uh, nicely done, I think. Yeah. Like how fast paced was that closing 10 minutes of the episode compared in comparison to the kind of languid, languishing of the first half of the episode of the first four, 30 minutes of the episode you know and it's and that's absolutely on purpose as well um i think that was really my only note for the episode was about the guardian devil connections because it really is something that is taken directly from the books in the past we've had things that have been remixed and changed and mixed between multiple books uh things taken that aren't directly related in this case it is genuinely things that are specifically out of that book and flipped to Probably excite comic book fans a little bit more who think they know exactly what's going to happen because they've read the comics, like ourselves, in this case. Anyway, are there any other notes for this episode, guys? Yeah, the final note for me is really just kind of spinning off what Derek was talking about, like Guardian Devil and Kevin Smith, which is, please go read these. Um, he really is just such an amazing writer and he really understands Daredevil as a character and overall very much just the, the drive of the character and the, his subsequent kind of satellite characters like Foggy and things like that. So Guardian Devil is fantastic. You'll see the iconography here. The iconography of which was Joe Casada did the drawing, but the cover for Guardian Devil was one of them was the Matt draped in the Daredevil costume over the cross of the top of the yeah. church. Um, he also did some amazing Marvel Knight stuff, which was again Joe Casada, but it was all Daredevil and Spider-Man, which is just fantastic. Um, then there's a lovely kind of, again, um, what ifs based on some of his arc in Daredevil, mm-hmm. just fantastic ones. So really recommend Look, if you're, even if you're not a fan of clerks or mall rats, his, his cinematography, uh, kind of side of things as a comic book writer, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend you check it out. Yeah. Yep, I've just got a few few notes. There is the traumatic whiskey watch uh, for this episode with um, a bottle of bourbon that Karen is swigging away whilst doing drugs. Um, you know, we won't start up drug watch, um, but certainly for whiskey watch, it is. I think it is a bottle of wild turkey bourbon here. It, it could also be wild goose. We were thinking as well. It was difficult to to get a, a full look on the label. It was definitely one of those ones where you missed out on uh, on Whiskey Watch because you're just so intense at the scene that's going on as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. One other thing is, you know, we've mentioned quite a lot, or I have, I suppose, of the, the direction here. Um, and I think there is an amazing uh, tracking shot of um, a, a car that is on the road alongside the railroad as the the freight train is moving through and it's just so uh, reminiscent to me of just like classic uh north america and i just loved it mm-hmm. uh, and I, that's where i felt as soon as you said it was like an indie piece that's where it felt like it to me yeah. um i just thought it was a really really classic shot um i thought it was really nice yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for the notes, guys. I think it's time to get on to our defense. 
Chris, we have finally got the backstory of Karen. Do you defend Daredevil Season 3, Episode 10, Karen? I do. Um, if you had have asked me this on the first watch through, I probably would have said no. Right. The flashback was quite slow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it was purposely slow. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. But coming out of what we just came out of in the last episode, directly into this, imagine, I'm, I'm imagining this as if I was a, um, not a binge viewer, but you were watching these kind of pretty rapidly. Yeah. Um, like this is a complete, like someone has just jammed on the brakes here. Yeah. Um, so this really, it forces you to take a look, but I also found myself for the first two minutes taking out my phone mm-hmm. because you do have that long tracking shot of just the road and the snow. And that was just like, wow, yeah. pretty, but I'm, yeah, I just came out of an action sequence. Mm-hmm. Give me, I don't want this. So yeah, if you had have asked me earlier, I would have said no. I would have said that the first three quarters of this episode while giving me exactly what I wanted in a backstory was too slow. The pacing was off. Yeah. Just did not feel like the right time to do it. Talking to you guys has changed my mind about that again, which is I don't know if I would have done the same length as they have done, which is what, three quarters, just under three quarters of the the episode Mm -hmm. is the backstory. So individually, the backstory, I'm so happy we have it. Yeah. It makes sense to a degree what has happened. Mm-hmm. It, you actually see the growth of the character of Karen Page from what we think was six to nine months potentially before um, we first meet her in season one. Mm-hmm. So seeing that growth is great. But taken as a whole, I do defend it. It's just, I, I think the pacing is slightly off overall right but they did a good job like mm-hmm. i now have the story i'm happy with the story and the the fight scene at the end was just beautiful yeah yeah absolutely uh, john do you defend this episode of daredevil season three episode 10 karen i'm gonna have to disagree with chris again on pacing um this is twice in a row i'm sorry chris um i do defend this episode of of daredevil uh like chris i'd give this four and a half bloody eggs benedict out of five I thought this was a really interesting take. Um, I'm really pleased we got the backstory of Karen. I've really wanted to know uh, why Karen has been the way she has been since season one. And I've been pretty harsh on her as well. Um, and I, I feel as though season two kind of left her out as well as Foggy. Um, it's a shame. I don't feel as though we're going probably going to get a Foggy flashback. That would have been kind of quite nice. But I suppose... She wouldn't be able to see much, though. Yeah, exactly. I think we, it would just be at the family butchers. Um, him saying, no, I don't want to carve up uh, dead animal carcasses for the rest <laughs> of my life or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, So I, I'm really pleased that we got to see it. And I, I actually really loved... Um, I loved the vibe of, of this, I think. Um, I like the contrast between that kind of indie feel at the start and just really, really bleak. I mean, it was no hope at all. It was um, totally depressing um, in terms of what it covered and how it covered it. But the that part of me kind of really enjoyed seeing that side of it. And then it contrasted with this real comic book element um the fighting it was frenetic it was fast um it had matt murdoch and 
Dex Devil fighting again in such an iconic venue in the Clinton mission, just how it connected to the comic books. Um, I just really, really liked it. And I think for me, some of the shots that we used, the tracking of uh, Dex Devil falling over the balcony, the car crash, um, just some of the the use of direction in this to me was great. I have really enjoyed um, Alex Garcia Lopez's take in his, the two episodes that he's done, mm-hmm. and I think Tamara Beecher uh, Wilkinson with her writing here, she's really taken a, a nice contrasting look from the bleak to the real homage to the the, the comics here, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's been really really good to see. So I have, um, yeah, I do defend this episode. I thought it was really good, but at the same time, it was hard to watch. Absolutely. Um, it's not one that I would necessarily be coming back to, to immediately put on other than possibly with the, the fight sequence at the end, a bit like with the, the prison fight sequence. So it was really, really good. Um, but certainly it's a tough, uh, old journey, uh, that for, for Karen. Mm-hmm. So Derek, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? I absolutely defend this this episode. I think I'm very close to you, John. You know, in the real world, outside of the podcasting and outside of the comic books that we read and outside of all of these shows that we cover, uh, when we used to have time to go to the cinema, this is exactly the type of movie that I would seek out <laughs> when we actually didn't do, you know, 100 episodes of a podcast a year about comic books and go to the movies and watch movies about comic books. This is exactly my type of film. This is the the story of why a person becomes the way they are, what's going on in small town America. You know, things like Twin Peaks take the extreme side of that, the supernatural. If you take that out of it, the darkness that's in small towns in America is something that's always really interested me. So this is an episode that plays right into my my strengths, right into my likes and my love. So I'm so glad we got it. I'm so glad we didn't get any ambiguity in there in Karen's backstory. We've been waiting. We've patiently waited for this backstory for three seasons now. And I think they did. They gave us a great explanation of why Karen is the way that she is, and nothing was left to our imaginations to try and fill in. Oh, maybe it's because Karen did this, or maybe it's because she did that. No, we know exactly why Karen is the way that she is, and that's exactly what they needed to do this far into the show, uh, so that we can see who she is and why she is the way that she is. So, really, really excellent stuff in there. And having the loss of Lantern, really sad loss. The fight sequence itself, fantastic using every single thing in the church as a weapon inspired decision, to be honest, uh, really, really good and loved that fight sequence between the two of them at the end. But I think for me, the bigger part of the episode is Karen's backstory. And that's what I probably will come back and watch again, because I think it's an affecting, interesting life story of this character. Excellent stuff. Yeah. And um, so I think with that onto some feedback about this episode and some of the earlier episodes as well. Uh, just uh, again, a quick shout out that if you want to leave any feedback, you can do so over on our Facebook group. Just head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash defenders TV podcast. You can send us an email in at feedback at defenders TV podcast.com or head on over to our website, DefendersTVPodcast.com, and click on the Leave Voicemail tab on the right-hand side to leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts um, with us, and we'll play them on the podcast. But first off, some feedback on Episode 8 from Mackenzie Bean. He says, Hey, Defenders, just a note. 
when Ray gets Dex, an attorney, for reinstating him to the FBI, part of his motivation may have been sincere. He thinks if Dex turns out to be innocent, then he should come back to the FBI. He may have been thinking about helping Dex get a lawyer even before he began to suspect Dex, but it was on the back burner before he needed to make sure the apartment was empty. It just goes to show how much care the writers are putting in. Stay away from painters, says Mackenzie. Thank you, Mackenzie. Yes, we uh, certainly have increased our phobia of uh, painters and decorators of late. And indeed, I will be staying away from them for some time to come. Uh-huh. Interesting point about the uh, about the possible hiring of the lawyer. We did find out in the next episode, in episode nine, that everybody in the department was aware of uh, the lawyer being hired for Dex, that everybody had put money into the collection. So there was definitely some intent in there, some some idea that Dex could be innocent and that they were trying to help him out. So that was definitely there, but still not exactly sure whether it was all just a cover and the bosses lining in behind it or not. But yeah, interesting point. On episode nine, Bob Phillips said this. Well, having finished the episode now, no longer any doubt about who's under Fisk control and no doubt from me about how unpleasant Kingpin is. Not just a businessman who bends some rules, but a moral-free child killer. I'd come to believe the love of Vanessa might have actually saved him, but now I think he's irredeemable. And Foggy might still take him down with the IRS. Mm -hmm. Yes, Bob, thank you very much. Think about how Capone was taken down. Yeah. Al Capone was taken down by the IRS, so I know that's probably where you're going with. So, yeah. I'm I'm sure that's where the writers are going as well. I'm sure that's absolutely why they've given Foggy that storyline. Because if you can't take him down with punching him in the face, or you can't take him down with threats like, like Karen tried, well... You get the IRS involved. Maybe they'll uh, look into his books and take him down. Um, thanks so much for that, Bob. Uh, 084 is back with an email about the last five episodes of the show. I know that uh, they're going to be sending in their their thoughts about the final episodes as well. But uh, long email here from 084. But thanks so much for sending it in. So we're going to go through it here. First up, Bullseye. Bullseye, Bullseye, Bullseye. I was hesitant about them bringing the character at all because we're only 15 years removed from Colin Farrell's interpretation of him. And there are only a finite number of showers that you could fit into 15 years. That said, they surprised me on Electra last season, so I should have trusted them on Bullseye too. I liked his origin and how they worked it into the story. Although I don't normally love when they introduce mental illness into media only to villainize the character suffering from it. But it was acted superbly, almost scarily, when he's in the Daredevil suit. His yearning for a North Star and the way Kingpin manipulated himself into the position gave Dex just the slightest bit of sympathy for me and took away a hefty amount of fondness for Fisk as well. They really nailed his power in making it look cool and again making it scary. The fact that whoever he's targeting could instantly die as long as he has any potential projectile at arm's reach is pretty terrifying. Both big fights between him and Matt maybe understand completely why everyone was pining for this matchup for years. It's a really good point, though, for yeah, really good uh, moments there between uh, Daredevil and Bullseye, and yeah, total antagonists, perfectly matched uh, throughout the season so far. Really been enjoying them together. Yeah, it's great to have Bullseye um, in Daredevil. Um, I just have loved his origin, um, and I've really enjoyed, as you say, seeing him being manipulated uh, by Wilson Fisk and his relationship with Rayna Deem, and then yeah, the two fights so far. Uh, between him and Daredevil have been just so great. It's a real match for for Daredevil. So yeah, love this. 
OFOR goes on to say, Karen's backstory was pretty much what I expected it to be. A few minutes in, when I realized they were structuring most of episode 10 as a flashback, I thought I'd be bored, but actually I wasn't. A lot of what she's gone through since season one makes more sense, from seeing the first time she shoots someone to her survivor's guilt to losing basically everyone around her by death or by resentment. All of that is reflected in the other two seasons of Daredevil at least once. And let's talk about her sitting right in front of Fisk, not just admitting that she killed his best friend, but rubbing his face in it. I think I said Karen no about a hundred times and each time she seemed to say Karen yes back at me uh, the strength of the character this season I think I mentioned a few times uh, the strength of the character for me has just been fantastic just seeing her portray that and, and just letting it go through her as the way Karen would and it's great to see this backstory uh, it sounds like 084 is similar to yourself Chris on, uh, on thought the episode was going to be slow and then realized actually I'm really getting into it exactly yeah no I think we're on the same page here mm-hmm. Karen, Karen Page <laughs> Oh, it forecasts out to say, I have huge problems with the treatment of Melvin Potter this season. I thought Fisk would have both him and Betsy killed for making that Daredevil suit in the first place, but it's pretty clear that Fisk was never going to do anything to Melvin. He'd manipulate him and threaten him, sure, but I think he empathises with him too much to actually harm him. Compared to Matt getting Melvin arrested and briefly giving Betsy a heads up and then just going, struggles and moving on. And Fisk and Matt are basically just oscillating shades of grey when it comes to their treatment of the couple. That's an interesting one. Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm thinking that Fisk kind of was happy enough just letting Matt deal with it and having Melvin arrested. I think he's kind of happy enough that that's the way it all worked out, you know. Not that Fisk planned that he's not that good, but, you know, he did want Melvin to bring Matt to his workshop and lock him up in there so he could get caught by the police. And I think he kind of felt, well, either way it works out, either Melvin gets arrested or Matt gets arrested, that's kind of fine with him. So yeah, they're both two sides of similarly grey characters, but I think that's a good thing to have on the show. Oh, if 4 talks about Sister Maggie as well, says Sister Maggie was amazingly cast. Joanne Wally plays her almost apathetic at times, but with emotion just aching to get out at any second. Her story of why she couldn't stay around Matt as a child was pretty heartbreaking. It didn't absolve her blame, but grants her some small bit of understanding. I think they should have cast a younger actor to play Jack in those flashbacks, or a slightly older-looking actress to play her, unless they were meaning to convey that there's a huge age difference between the two. That took me way out of it, because Jack looked about 20 years older than Maggie. You know... After the episode uh, that we recorded for episode nine, we did mention this, that there is a little bit too much difference in their age. It does look like Jack's in his 30s and she looks about 15 or 16. It is a little bit too much of an age difference for the episode, but I think they wanted to keep Jack in there and they wanted to also show the innocence of Maggie at the beginning. I think that's what they wanted to convey. So nothing wrong with either of the actors. I think it was just having that huge age gap does make it a little bit uh, different than they probably were intending. I4 goes on to say, I went all this way not talking about the title character. Can someone help me find Charlie Cox's Emmy? Because as much as I love Vincent D'Onofrio this season, his best work in the show was in season one. Charlie Cox has stepped it up every single episode he's played Matt Murdock to the whole season playing Matt as an absolute lowest point. He takes his understanding of this character to a whole other level. More of my praise for him will come in my next email about the full season. Marcy Stahl is a national treasure, that is all. Farthen Lanthan's death hit me hard. He delivered one of the best monologues on television back in season one, and that's saying something on a show that really has some killer monologues. It's true that his death comes when he and Matt weren't on the best of terms, but he went out a hero, which is how I'm sure he would have always wanted to go. 
I, like many others, love Special Agent Nadim. Marvel and Netflix give characters like him and Agent Dina Madani such depth and flaws and strengths and avoid writing them as stereotypes. And he actually follows logic, which is rare on TV. A lesser show would have had Bullseye do sneaking around with his teammates being none the wiser. But I was so proud of Ray for making the connections and following up to peg him as a suspect. You know, good police work. Go figure, right? Well, Defenders, are you out of breath yet? I'd apologise, but you should really blame the new showrunner and the cast and crew for being incredible. I'll be back soon with my thoughts on the last three episodes and the season as a whole once I can make them make more sense of my 84. Thank you so much for your thoughts on the episodes uh, 084. That's, that is a huge amount of feedback, but I totally understand there's been some excellent episodes over those five episodes. Yeah, really good feedback, 084. Um, totally with you on Agent Nadim as well. Um, it is really good just to see uh, how he he parcels it out and thinks it through. And I like your connection to uh, Agent Dina Madani as well. I thought that was uh, really nice. Yes, um, hopefully uh, the death of Father Lansom wasn't like a billy club to the chest as such, uh, but certainly it hit hard for sure, mm-hmm. um, did that that death. Uh, and I'm glad that there was some kind of resolution, even if it was in whisper form between um, Father Lansom and Daredevil. I thought that was a nice little touch, actually. Yeah. Thank you, 084. Absolutely. Um, some more feedback on this episode from our Facebook group. Uh, Jamie Alexander says, We finally get Karen's story. Goodbye, Father Lantham, coffee enthusiast, pool shark, Beatles fan. <laughs> if I were Catholic, I would totally want you to be my priest. And where's Sister Maggie? We did mention, Jamie, there is a drop line in the episode that Maggie's off looking for possible locations for uh, Karen to stay and, and be safe. She'll definitely still need those uh, locations with decks in the wind. Yeah, I think uh, Sister Maggie is certainly... Uh, doing her travel agency work at the moment to scurry Karen away to safety. Claire Payne says, didn't like this episode. Karen's backstory dominated too much. It was good to understand Karen's story, but I was very relieved when we saw the other characters again. Sorry. That's it. Um, I think Karen can sometimes come across as Marmite. Uh, You know, it's you, you like her or you don't. Um, It's, it's a real um tough one. I, I I think it was a tough story. Um and if if that those kind of tones uh, and vibe is not something that you are are looking for, I think it can be a really tough episode um to to look at to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh Ronaldo of Into the Night podcast says this was a great look back at Karen's history. The location, the small town feel, it really draws you out of the grim feel of Hell's Kitchen and expands the canvas of the show. At times I was thinking to myself that this felt like an entirely different show altogether, not to detract in any way from the show itself, and in a good way. Deborah Ann Wall really makes the most of her arc here. Yeah, this was a real nice look, I think, uh, at small town uh north america you know rural north america where uh, you have these small compact communities where you know certain tragedies um certain events can can really just implode on people and i thought that was a real nice way of doing it i think um seeing deborah and wall uh run with this as well um it was a proper uh, full-on episode for Deborah Ann Wall, and she was uh, phenomenal. She really did um, show her acting chops here, um, which was amazingly uh, good for me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Ronaldo, for the feedback. Yeah, it really did feel like Deborah Ann Wall was carrying every scene that she was in, even up until that final battle or final fight that's going on. It still felt like Deborah Ann Wall's episode. It's almost like they gave her the opportunity to do a prequel to the Daredevil series star- starring her. That's what this episode almost felt like. Yeah. 
Finally, we had feedback from Andrew Wilmot, who said this. I love this episode. We finally got to see Karen's full backstory. And I must say, it's a tragic one. The ending fight was amazing. So well choreographed and very thrilling. And rest in peace, Father Langton. You'll be missed. You seemed like a great priest and you were a great father figure for Matt. This season is truly fantastic. Thank you very much for the feedback, Andrew. And yes, it's a shame that father is gone. But who knows? With... The way comic books work, Matt may be imagining him in the future. Perhaps, yes. Perhaps yes. there'll be some guidance from beyond the grave. Um, yeah, it could sadly. be the third person on his shoulder. Maybe. Well, yeah. he'll certainly bulk up for his fights with Bullseye then. Father Lantern would be the the angel. Wilson Fist, the devil, and uh, his dad, the parrot. Possibly, possibly. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders, and thanks again, as always, for your feedback. If you want to send us in any feedback, email us to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. We don't have many episodes left, just three more to go. We'll be back with episode 11 of season three, Reunion, next week. Yes, then thank you so much, fellow defenders, and we'll see you soon. Excellent stuff. Thank you, as always, fellow defenders, for tuning in, and we'll speak with you again soon. Bye.